So with equal enthusiasm, why don't you grab your Bibles? Love for you to turn this morning to Exodus. Going to read a portion of Scripture and just hopefully intentionally posture our hearts as we've been doing this month before the Lord as we embrace all that this year has. Exodus 17 is where we're turning. Before we do anything else, let me pray. Father, we just thank you for your grace and for your mercy. What an incredible promise it is that you assure us that your mercies are new each and every morning. And that's not only a a reality of your faithfulness, Lord, it's a reality of our need. We need your mercies this day, Lord. By the power of your Spirit, would you open our eyes to see you? Would you open our hearts to know you? We desire, Lord, to encounter you in fresh ways as we read from your scripture. Lord, may your word be proclaimed, may it go forth with power, may it accomplish all that you desire for the glory of your name, King Jesus. It's for you that we live, it's in you that we move and we have our being. You're the one that we desire and we delight ourselves in. King Jesus, be honored in this place, we pray. Amen. Well, it's interesting as we approach the, this, this particular year, as I said, we've been just setting up some of the themes that God has put on our hearts before we launch into a longer or a larger study as we also love to do. And I had someone this week say, you know, it's funny, it feels a, a bit like it's the year 2022, but it feels like 2020 times two. Makes more sense. It looks a little better when you see it in writing. 2020 times two, a little bit like Groundhog Day. Anyone seen that Bill Murray classic? The same tune on the radio every single morning, he awakens and feels a little the same, doesn't it? The same headlines, maybe a slightly different spin. It's like deja vu. Here we are again, 2020 times two. And yet there is a message in that movie, isn't it? As there is for us. Well, the message I took away from the movie was we can't always change our circumstances. In fact, that would be nice, wouldn't it? You just wave a wand, snap the fingers, and there we go. All the problems of the world are fixed up, according to the way I see them anyway. But we can't always change, or we often cannot change at all our circumstances, but we can always change the way that we respond to the things that are going on around us. And we've had that sense this year, if you've been around and listening to some of the messages, of a need to intentionally posture our hearts before the Lord as we embrace a new year and all that the Lord has for us. And so I want to continue that theme through this particular portion of Scripture, Exodus 17. It says this, all the congregation of the people of Israel had moved on. So the Lord has sovereignly delivered his people. And of course, we know the story very well. And he's begun to lead them in this 40-year period through the wilderness. It says the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. Isn't that just a wonderful picture? I think there's so much in this Exodus account that just speaks of the believer's life. God's great deliverance, his sovereignty in rescuing and redeeming us, and yet then we're on a journey. There's wilderness wanderings, there's trials and triumphs, and yet in the midst of it, there's God's leading, there's God's provision, and there's God's plan at work. So it says they've moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according 
to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. So here's the scenario. They found themselves in the midst of this journey in a dry and a barren place, a place that has no water. And we don't want to miss this. It says the Lord was leading. Specifically, it says according to the commandment of the Lord. See, this wasn't a moment in their journey that was a mistake. It wasn't a wrong turn. It wasn't an oversight. This was, Scripture makes it clear, the specific leading of the Lord. Now, it's not always the leading of the Lord when we find ourselves in a dry and barren wilderness. Sometimes, as the people of God find in Exodus, sometimes, as I'm sure we find in our own lives, there can be many other reasons. It can be sin, it can be unbelief, it can be grumbling to mention a few, something that not only the Israelites, but we today often grapple and wrestle through. But there is times, this is the point, where we can find ourselves in that kind of a place specifically because of the leading and according to the commandment of the Lord. Now, hold that thought because we're going to come back there, but let's read the rest of the story. Verse 2, how do the people respond? The Lord's leading them. They've made it clear. And yet it says in verse 2, therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. We're going to come back to that word and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Isn't the Lord leading us? Why is this my issue all of a sudden? Why are you making it about me? And why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And so what did they do? It says the people grumbled against Moses and said, well, why did you bring us up to Egypt to kill us and our children, our livestock with thirst? Isn't it interesting how sometimes we can be so acquainted with the problems that are around us that we build a whole theology, not around the faithfulness and the goodness of God, but the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. They'd move from we're thirsty to this is your fault to, well, now, see, this was always the purpose of God. They built this entire elaborate theological understanding around how God had simply led them here. He just really all along, although he said this was about delivering the people, he brought them there to drop them off and to let them die from thirst. So Moses cried to the Lord's verse 4, so what shall I do with his people? They're almost ready to stone me. Literally, the implication of the verse is the people were massing a rebellion. There was stones in hand, which was the common form of corporate judgment, and they were ready to act as the judge and jury and executioner and stone Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, now... Probably most of us know the story that the Lord is going to sovereignly provide for his people. If you didn't, sorry, I just gave away the, uh, the end of the story there. But what I want us not to miss as we read this is not just what the Lord does, but how the Lord does this. He's dealing with quarreling, difficult, rebellious, hard-hearted people, unlike anyone in this room, of course. This is for others out there. And yet this is what the Lord does. The Lord says to Moses, pass on before the people in their sight, walk through their midst. He's saying, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. This staff that had been a sign both of God's provision, God's deliverance, but also God's judgment against Egypt and against the Egyptian 
armies. He says, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. The uh, scholars love to argue about what this might have looked like. It literally says that God stood there upon the rock. Was it the glory cloud that led them? Was this some sort of a Christological uh, pre-incarnation moment where the image of Christ, we, we don't know, but for, in whatever way it occurred, there was some reality for the people as they watched on that God was there, that, that this was the Lord represented by this rock. I'll stand before you there on the rock and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of the Lord and because the test of the Lord by saying, is the Lord, not, is the Lord among us or not? Interesting, isn't it? He didn't call the place the provision of the Lord or God's goodness and grace and mercy. He calls the place quarreling and testing, or another word is contention. So what is, what is God's solution? This just boggles my mind. He's dealing with this difficult, hard-hearted, rebellious, unrepented people. I mean, surely if it was any of us, as we read this account, of course, we know the end. We think, well, this is a moment he's going to strike them down with plagues. He's going to show them the mighty right hand of his judgment. But instead, in the midst of this, he says, Moses, this is what we're to do. I'm going to appear before you in some sort of a visible manifestation. You're to strike the rock. The picture is very clear that he the God of his people would take upon him the, himself the rod of judgment, submit himself, taking the punishment that people deserve for their insolence, and out of his suffering, provide life-giving water. What an incredible picture. In fact, there's, there's no doubt because Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 10.4. He talks about the people. He says, they drank from the spiritual rock that was Christ. This was clearly a picture in the Old Testament of Christ a quarreling, disobedient, rebellious picture. And he says, this is the answer. I'm going to take on board the punishment that you deserve and give you in return living water to drink. Now, we could say amen there and just leave the sermon and move on. But there's some things in here that I want us to grab a hold of. Firstly, let's go back to the context. And then there's simply two realities, two encouragements for us today. We said before, there's a very clear context here that is important for us to be mindful of, that this was, this whole entire scenario and situation was a setup from the Lord. This was the Lord's specific leading. And this is what we need to grab a hold of and always remember. See, if they were in a place where there was no water, it was because God led them to a place where there was no water. So if there was no water, follow with me here, it was because God wanted them to experience a dry place. It was part of his heart and his preparation for his people. See, if God leads us into a dry place or a dry season where it seems like nothing is coming to pass, where expectations are not being met, where hopes are put on delay, where the fruit of our labor is long in coming, where we have to wait, it seems like change will never come. It's because God has a purpose. God has 
a lesson. God has a season of preparation for us in that dry place, in that dry season. In fact, Christ himself, what happens is he begins his ministry. He's baptized, this incredible moment and encounter with the Holy Spirit. People hear the voice of God and Luke 4 accounts in the very next breath, the very next moment, he's led by the Spirit where? Into the wilderness, into a dry and barren and desolate place. And yet it says, as Luke then records, that he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. See, it wasn't just some testing just to tempt him. It was a place of preparation for the purposes of God to be accomplished and fulfilled. So that's our encouragement if it's the Lord who's leading us. And I said, it doesn't always mean that because we're in a dry place, we can be well and truly there just because of our own stupidity at times. I've been there too. But if the Lord is leading us and we're in that kind of a place, then our encouragement is that he's brought us there, not just to leave us there, not just to drop us off. Well, good luck, fend for yourself. Not because he's some sort of a a, a cruel heavenly father that loves nothing more than seeing his people go through difficult and trying circumstances. But he's placed us there that the dry and barren place would turn out to be the place of his provision and of our blessing. That the dry place may just turn out to be the place where our faith is born, where it's ignited. That the dry place may just be the place where God does what we thought he could never do to show us that he really is the God who is with us. So that's the context. And in the midst of that context, there's a few things we can learn. It's going to say we can learn what to do, or really from this particular account, we can learn perhaps what not to do. Because the people don't respond well, do they, in the midst of this circumstance? And if you come back to the passage with me, if you look at what it was in the end that they were held up as having got wrong in the midst of this scenario. Verse 7, it says, He being Moses called the place Masser and Meribah because of these two things. And these are the two pitfalls. These are the two encouragements for us. I pray that it will be encouraging and hopefully stir our hearts in a couple of ways. But I want you to focus on this and pay attention. It says, because of, number one, the quarreling of the people of Israel, and number two, because they tested the Lord. How was it they tested the Lord? Was it immorality? Was it idolatry? Certainly there was plenty of other moments of that during their wilderness wanderings. But this is interesting. Just wrestle with this with me. As the phrase here says, they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, isn't that, isn't that an interesting thing to test the Lord with? So here's the very first thing. Let's pick that one up first. In those things, what is it that we can learn? Well, the people tested the Lord, not because of idolatry or immorality. They tested the Lord because they forgot, because they somehow lost sight of the reality that there was a God who was with them. Such a, a simple reality, but one that makes all the difference, the God who is in the midst of his people. Now, think this through. You see, God had, at this particular point in the account, God had delivered them from the grip of the most powerful nation on the planet. He'd sent them out with provision and riches. He'd parted the waters 
And then, of course, defeated the enemy army who came after them. He'd, in the preceding chapter, turned bitter water sweet. He'd provided food supernaturally day in, day out from heaven. God was leading them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And you could kind of think, how, how much more could God do to prove to his people that he was with them? Like, wouldn't that have been amazing to see? My kids, they love the, uh, this series of DVDs called Superbook which is an account of these two kids and a robot friend who get transported into the Bible stories. And they're often like, Dad, wouldn't that be amazing to be there and to see that? And what account in the Bible would you like to have been a part of? Well, surely this would have been one of the most radical, awe-inspiring, mind-altering times in human history to have witnessed that with your own eyes. This God who supernaturally delivers. He rescues, he redeems, he brings them through, he protects He provides. And yet it's funny, isn't it, how they'd seen all these things. They'd enjoyed so much of God's provision and his power and his presence. And the moment they hit this little place, it's like we've seen all that. And yet, where's God here in the midst of this barren and dry land? They believed so much. They'd seen so much. And yes, they'd still lost, yet they'd still lost sight of God's providing for that specific need. See, I want to suggest for us that can so often be the case also. Isn't it amazing that, you know, I I, I chat to Christians. It's my job. I do it a lot. And most people, they're like, isn't it amazing that God set the planets in motion? That's incredible. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He knows the stars by name. Isn't it incredible that God delivered humanity through the power of his blood? that God's provided for me in my life here and there. And yet all of a sudden, whatever it might be, in the midst of a pandemic, well, God can't be there. I mean, this is a pandemic. This is bad. In the midst of politics raging and opinions, oh, well, I'm not sure. You know, can, can God be in the midst of that too? Really? In the midst of personal struggles, whatever it is, We all fall guilty at times. The greatness of God and all he's done. And yet in the midst of this, I've completely lost sight of where he is. Where is God in the midst of this? And that's not to say that these are insignificant challenges. No water is a big problem. Okay, we're not going to go well if there's no water. This, This is a struggle for God's people. All these circumstances I mentioned are a struggle for us. But what should have shaped their thinking and what should have shaped our thinking, what should always shape our thinking, is this that this is what makes all the difference that there is a God who is in the midst of his people. Yes, there's pandemics and there's politics. Yes, there's problems. Yes, there's personal issues. But here's what makes a difference God is with us. God is in our midst. He's not just the God of the heavens. He's not just the God who redeemed us. He's the God who is with us there in that dry and that barren place. He is the God who provides for how many needs? Some of our needs, all of our needs except for, you know, those really all. He provides for all of our needs according to his riches in glory. See, there should be a fundamental difference in the way believers live. Grab grab this. It's a passage I know that is, this is something 
resonating in my heart this week, something familiar to us, and I know you've heard it before, but try and hear this as if you've never heard it. Matthew 6, this incredible passage, Jesus is, is preaching, he's talking about the care of God, this heart of the Father. He's saying, look how he cares for the lilies in the field, look how he cares for, for creation, and let that be this incredible picture of his love and his care for you. And then verse 31, he says, so do not be anxious. The word there is fearful. Do not be anxious and fearful, saying, oh, what are we going to eat? What shall we drink? What are we going to wear? Haven't you seen there's a pandemic? Haven't you seen my personal problems? Haven't you seen what's... He said, do not be anxious and fearful. Now, he's not saying don't care about those things. They, they are not important. We all need things to eat, okay? We, we all need things to wear. He's not saying they're not important. He's saying do not be anxious. Do not be fearful. Don't let fear control and rob your perspective. Preached about this last year. Fear just narrows us down to the immediacy of the problem rather than the full perspective and reality of his purposes. It says, do not be anxious for the Gentiles seek after these things. That's what I wanted to bring out. So if you're outside the kingdom, you do live a different way, a different manner. That's all you've got. I mean, be stressing. There's problems around. This is bad. But for people in the kingdom, do not be anxious and fearful. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows you need them. He knows what you need. And so seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things, all the things that you need, all the things that he loves to provide will be given to you. See, what a profile of how different people live. Outside the kingdom, this is exactly what should happen. What we're seeing here, well, God's not here. He's just brought us to, there's nothing here. We're consumed by the problem. We're picking up stones, a grumbling, complaining. Like, like that's, that's just normal. That's par for the course. But there should be a profound difference in the life of the believer. There should be. What, what am I to be anxious about? Because God's here. And so if he's brought me here, then he has a purpose in the midst. There's a purpose for me to find in the midst of where he's brought me to. And that is my Focus, that's what drives me forward. What is it that's guiding our decision? What is it that underpins our very thoughts and action, that steadies our feeble knees, that brings the only true perspective? It's the recognition that he is in our midst. So that was the first mistake that they made that they missed. They forgot, they lost sight of the reality of the God who was with them in the immediacy of the problem. Second thing, and these two are related, and I would suggest one always leads to the other. They're two sides of the same coin. Remember back to verse 7, it says, he called the place Massa Meribah because of the quarreling of the people and the testing of the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's the first mistake. They lost sight of the Lord. The second mistake is that they erred into this area of quarreling. Well, what, what is... Quarreling. See, I kind of think of the ESV calls it quarreling. I kind of think of that as the little squabbles that regularly frequent my house amongst children about who's wearing what dress and what movie they're going to wear. That's kind of the picture that comes to mind for quarreling. It's actually something far more weighty and specific and significant. The word, according to the Strong's Concordance, it means this. It means, number one, to make judgments, to form judgments. Remember, we've lost sight of God. So God's not there. Therefore, that's now my responsibility 
to be the judge and jury, to figure this thing out. I, I am now responsible to make judgments and to determine what is right and wrong. To make judgments and then to cause strife, controversy and contention. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? To make and form judgments, to cause strife, controversy and contention. You see, what should they have done in the midst of this circumstance and situation? What should they have done? I would suggest this, exactly what we're saying, which sounds great in theory, doesn't it? It's a little bit different when you're stuck there and you've got no water to drink. What should they have done? They should have remembered, hang on, God is with us. God's brought us through. So here's the one thing and the only thing we need to do is to seek him. To say, okay, God, you brought us here for a reason. So we need to know what that reason is. So show us the reason that we found ourselves here. Lead us through. We choose to trust in you. That is the response. Instead of that response, what have they done? They've got an issue and they've decided, let's just jump right into the middle of the issue. Let's form judgments about God. In fact, they developed this whole intricate theology about who God was and who he wasn't. And of course, they'd caused strife, controversy, contention, and ended up in this place where they had stones in hand ready to find someone to bear the brunt of their personal judge, jury, and executioner decisions. And, and I just want to encourage us in this because we find ourselves in an environment, I'm not even talking about the church here, I'm just talking in general in society, where this kind of philosophy, because this is not just something biblical, this is human nature, where this has become the norm. And I hesitate to use this example, but I'll do it anyway, just between us and the internet and everyone else out there. But who's been enjoying the Australian Open? Bit of tennis. Love the Australian Open. In fact, I've loved having the Big Bash cricket. The kids are right into the cricket too. They know all the teams. And it's been a really nice relief, hasn't it, <laughs> from just some of the other headlines and stuff around. But the Australian Open started with a little bit of controversy. And regardless of what you specifically think about that particular issue, and I'm not going to delve into the different sides, the thing that struck me was we're currently in a moment where a guy turns up to play tennis and no one's really interested in just politely expressing opinions. Well, maybe we are when the cameras are on, but the moment the cameras turn off, we let loose. We call names. We splash our judgment and opinion all over social media, and we end up picking up rocks, finding someone to blame. We, we just seem to love in the, in the heightened reality of things going on around us that this has become our norm. Let's jump in the middle. Oh, what's the next one? What judgments can I form? How can I just splash my opinion? The tragedy is that it ends up in one place and one place alone, which is causing strife, controversy, and contention. And I want to encourage this because there's another way for us to live. There really is. Here's another picture. This one may help, it may not. But uh, during the lockdown last year, we did, you know, join the the crowd and grabbed a, a lockdown puppy and we'd, we'd never had a, a little inside dog. So that was the way that I marketed it to my wife. I said, we've got plenty of dogs out on the farm, but we've never had an inside dog. I mean, the girls would love it. It'd be, you know, patted and babied and taken care of. Some of that has happened. Some of it hasn't. Story for another day. But this, this little dog, the, the destiny of this little dog was to be an inside dog. But there was a couple of problems. Or if you ask my wife, she'd say the whole thing was a problem. The dog was a problem. 
But one of the problems was this little dog had this habit that I would take her regularly as we you know, got her used to the property. I'd, I'd take her around to meet the animals, which, of course, she'd need to do, and she'd meet the chickens, and very excited by the chickens, and we'd head down to the goat barn. And, and she had this, this horrible habit that the moment we were down there, she'd sniff around, and at first I thought, oh, I wonder what she's kind of looking for there. Is she looking for food? But it wasn't food. It wasn't anything else. What she was doing was sniffing out the most ripe, fresh, dirty manure that she could possibly find. And there's a whole bunch of goats, so there's a lot of them. So she'd seek this thing out. She'd, you know, test a few, and they weren't quite up to standard. And then she'd find the one that interested her. And then it was on. It was just, she was rolling in it. She was playing with it. She was, like, the whole works, just getting down and dirty. And then when she finished, she'd have a little nibble just to kind of complete the picture. And, and so she'd come back literally covered from head to toe in the most foul-smelling odors. This is the inside dog. This is the dog that I'd purchased my own cost to bring into the family. And instead, it got within 10 foot of the door. And there was screams and cries from the children of, Get it away from me, and it smells, and it stinks, and we want nothing to do with it. And eventually, I'd take compassion on this little puppy. I had spent money on it, and I wasn't quite ready to give up yet. I'd bring it inside, because no one else would be willing to, to, to bathe it, and we'd give it a bath, and I'd dig out certain bits from between the little claws and clean this thing up and restore and reconcile this little puppy to the family. You see, I feel like, and maybe that application is for me only, maybe that's for some of us here, but I feel like it's been a season where we've kind of at times forgotten who we, we are and who we're called to be. And rather than with this little dog, and I'd remind her, I'd say, Ruby's her name, Ruby. Your, your call is to be inside. You're an inside dog. I'd tell her that. I'd say, you're supposed to be inside. This is not your calling. What are you doing rolling around in the poop? And yet, despite my reminding, that, that was where she continually found herself. It was just too good. It was too attractive. It felt too good to be there in the warmth and the aroma. And I feel like for some of us, that's a little bit where we've been, maybe not that drastically, but where we've been caught up in the midst of this season. Uh, this is a year as we began, and again, let me reinforce and encourage us. It's a year for us to go higher. If the worship team's here, you guys want to come out? And if we're going to do that, first of all, we've got to remember and recognize that God is with us. God, God is here. There's, there's no accident. There's no coincidence about where we find ourselves as we launch into 2022. It might feel like Groundhog Day. But this is a year and a season that is right in the midst of his purposes and plans for us. He is with us. And that's our calling is to seek him, to be a seeking people. But rather than seeking, too often we've been settling. We've been looking for the issues and, well, there it is again. Fantastic. I'm going to launch myself right in the middle of there. I'm going to form some judgments. I'm going to cause some controversy, some contention. And the Lord in his mercy is saying, come on, come, come to me. 
come to me. See, the interesting thing is, and I love this picture as we, we read from Exodus 17, is people caught up in their con- controversy and Jesus' answer is this in the midst. He's like, there's some stuff going on, but here is my solution to the problem. I'm going to come and I'm going to get rid of all of that stuff and I'm going to take it upon myself. And instead, I'm going to offer you living water. Come and drink freely from the living water. And I've found that you cannot be rolling around in the contention and the controversy and drinking from his living water at the same time. And so he he wants to invite us and say, come on, there's probably some stuff. There is some stuff for me where I realize that I've been caught up in a few things here and there that haven't been from him. I've shared some of them over the past couple of years. And it's, it's normally easy to know, isn't it? If you want to know what you've been rolling around in, just take a moment and breathe in the aroma. Like, are we spreading the aroma of Christ? Or is it the aroma of something else? The aroma of quarreling, the aroma of contention, the aroma of bitterness, which Hebrews says it's, it's like this root that rises up and defiles many. We can be a defiling people, or we can be a drinking people who come and drink of the living water that he provides and then extend that to a world that is in so such desperate need. What a calling we have in the midst of this season. What a calling we have. God is with us. But we've got to allow him to bring us up out of the stuff, out of the out of the junk, out of the, the mud, clean us off. That's not who you're called to be. It's, it's just stop. Let it go. Stop it. It's not helping anything. Come up here, drink my living water. Seek me, be a seeking people. But he's our desire, he's our delight, he's our first love. So just close your eyes. Let's look at the worship team just to sing a song. We'll stand in a moment. But before we do that, this is the invitation this morning. I know there's um, limitations with having lots of people come forward for ministry time. So you can just respond where you are. But I want you to respond intentionally. Just with those two simple questions. The first question is this. Lord, is there any sense in the past seasons or where I am today that I've lost sight of you? Like just ask yourself that, that question. What, what is most forefront in your mind right now? Is it the problems? immediacy of the problem or the sufficiency of his promise, the greatness of his power, the reality of his presence that is able to provide everything you need. And I feel like he wants to recalibrate our hearts there. And the second thing is this, as we ask him just to remind us of who he is, is asking him intentionally as well, Lord, is there any stuff that's just hanging around? Maybe it's intentionally, maybe it's unintentionally. I've been rolling around in stuff that I know has caused an aroma that is not of Christ. And his invitation for us is to come to him, to come and drink of his living water. 
to allow the stuff just to wash away for him to cleanse us. Remind us, it's not who you're called to become. Let me, let me wash it off. Let me clean. Let me restore you. And send you forth to spread the aroma of Christ. That's what people need at this time desperately. They need him. So if you're at home, if you're here, just engage in this moment. Spirit of God, I just pray that you'd, you'd just show, convict, recalibrate, challenge where we need it. Do your work, whatever is on your heart for us. Father, that we would be a people who would rise up, who would recognize the need for us to grab a hold of you in this season, what it is that you're doing and saying, seeking you, and a people who are willing to, to come to you, acknowledging that there's times where we haven't got it right and we just need you to cleanse us and wash us clean. So I want you to stay there. We're just going to let the worship team sing this song over us. You can just receive, you can stand, you can kneel. And just allow the Lord as we bring this time to a close to do what he desires to do. But we're here to meet with you. Just respond in whatever way he desires you to. And then don't forget, as we finish, the cafe's open. We're going to hang around and have some fellowship, a bit of backyard cricket. So please don't rush away. Feel free to just linger. But just allow the Lord to just settle on you this morning. Do what he loves to do, which is to meet with us. Pour out his grace. Wash us clean. Come, Holy Spirit, come.